Welcome to another episode of Campus Life, the flagship pod on our Campus to Canton podcast feed here. As always, I'm Colin, and Austin is still away, still MIA currently, but I have a very special guest joining me today. It is long overdue getting him on this podcast here, but I couldn't think of a better time to do it with all the bowl game matchups being released. I am joined by Mr. Nicholas Ian Allen at CFB Winning Edge. You know him. He's been on every episode of The Tailgate. He has his podcast that comes out on the feed. Very familiar with his work. But Nick, thank you so much for joining me today. Happy to be here. This is probably your Christmas. I know it's Christmas time, but this is probably <laughs> your Christmas. Am I, am I right? Uh, in in uh, some ways. Hopefully the, the, the prep we're doing now will lead to uh, Christmas as we go through the the bowl games and, and projections. More often than not, uh, bowl games have, have been quite good uh, to us. And a lot of that is due to the, the work we do for, you know, things that are going on right now, transfer portal opt-outs and, and uh, adjustments that we make in our team profiles. Uh, typically, this is where we see some of the biggest payoffs. So hopefully that continues this year as well. Yeah, so in our Slack earlier, you were mentioning you're like 62-ish percent uh, and then 55 against the spread. Was that what I was seeing? Something along uh, those lines? So last year, uh, had our, our best year for bowls. And I have I did go back and research to, to try to get the numbers. Um, been doing this for, this is the sixth full season of CFB Winning Edge and, and our projections and everything. Uh, have been over 55% in uh, four of the previous five seasons. Last year okay. it was 68.3% against the spread. 68.3. Now, I, I must say uh, there is one outlier. That was the 2021 season, which is our only not good season uh, where we were. 27% against the spread in bowl games. That was a, a shortened uh, group of bowl games, but still very, very bad that year. But bounced back in a big way, 68% last year, and and have have pretty high hopes this year that uh, we'll put another you know 55 plus uh, up this this season. I have no doubt. I have no doubt. I know I am <laughs> going to be using your numbers for everything bowl season here, um, but. If you guys are not members of the CFB Winning Edge, C2C Winning Edge uh, membership over at the site, definitely check that out. I mean, 68% against the spread speaks for itself. You're literally losing money not subscribing to this and betting with these numbers. I mean, that's what I'm going to be doing. Um, but we have to, we have a lot to get through, so we'll dive right in. But before we get into all the bowl matchups and everything like that, a lot of controversy over who got into the playoffs here. So, you know, obviously everybody out there knows Michigan is number one. Uh, Washington is two. Texas three. Alabama gets in at four ahead of Florida State. A lot of people upset. A lot of going back and forth on Twitter on this. But, Nick, who do your numbers say the four best teams are in college football? Did the committee get it right? Uh, well, so I, you know, anybody who's, who's paid attention to any of my work, uh, has listened to our podcast, especially we talk pretty frequently about 
where teams sit in our power rankings have been uh, discussing for the most part all year how Ohio State has been, um, if not number one, very, very close to number one. Most of uh, the season, they were our preseason number one team. Uh, they actually held on to number one uh, in our power rankings until – this morning when Kyle McCord went in the transfer portal, pulled wow, him off okay. and, and that move actually knocked him down a couple of spots. It's very, very close at the top of our rankings. Um, and so, you know, that's a, a little bit of an oddity and, and I personally do not, you know, not, not uh, saying Ohio state should be in the college football playoff by any means. Also saying our new number one uh, shouldn't be in the college football playoff, but Oregon is just sky high as far as uh, underlying numbers. uh, The the way we do projections, we would have Oregon favored on a neutral field against any other team in the country. Uh, But of course they lost two games outright to Washington. So they very much deserve to uh, not be in the the college football playoff. Uh, So we've got Oregon number one, Uh, Michigan is, is number two, but very, very close there to Oregon, depending on whatever, you know, opt-outs happen and things like that for Oregon. Um, I wouldn't, wouldn't be shocked if Michigan moves into the number one spot by time that, uh, semifinal kicks off. Uh, Ohio state is number three. We've got Georgia number four. So three of our top four (laughs) and our power rankings are not in the playoff. Uh, and then Alabama is, is, uh, number five. Okay. Uh, my mind is is my my brain's kind of mush right now. Who else is in the playoff? <laughs> <laughs> uh, Washington and Texas. All right, Washington is number eight in our yeah. uh, power rankings. Uh, they they I think were nine coming into the game last week, um, and then uh, Texas is number nine in our power rankings. So okay. um, we do our numbers a little bit different. Uh, anybody might have seen on Twitter, Nate. Uh, Manzo puts out a, a, a projection list, how our rankings compare to uh, some of the best in the business, things like, you know, SP plus on, on ESPN, uh, beta rank and, and uh, FPI and uh, K forward ratings. Um, and you can see, if you look at that graphic that, that he tweets out each week, ours usually line up a little bit different. So uh, won't surprise me at all. If, if usually that comes out on Tuesdays, uh, if we see that again, and and mine look quite different than a lot of the other folks, but uh, it tends tends to work out for us more often than not, even if it gives us some, uh, you know, kind of funny uh, results or, or rankings from time to time. Okay, so you had Bama pretty high, Bama number five. So it sounds like you kind of feel like that that was not a poor decision. Oh, least. absolutely not. <laughs> so I again, and and part of the reason we're different, and I, I touched on it. You know, briefly, when I said Kyle McCord entered the transfer portal, remove him, that changed the rankings. We're the only that I know, only uh, projection model that that's you know publicly available or uh, kind of out there that that you can get your hands on um, that makes adjustments based on you know depth chart projections, injuries, uh, who's in and out of the lineup, and. Jordan Travis, his loss obviously was was a huge one for Florida State. Uh, that injury, Florida State is fifteenth in our power rankings, so would be a heavy underdog in any matchup in the college football playoff. But me personally, I wholeheartedly believe that Florida State should have been one of those four teams that, that they deserve to make it. So um, I I was personally kind of surprised how bummed out I was when <laughs> the the announcement was made and, and sort of the more I 
thought about it. I, I really, really, um, usually I'm, I'm, I don't get emotional. Don't get, you know, too, uh, high or low on, on any of those things. I just say, you know, give me the, give me the matchups and I'll run the numbers and see what they say. But I was, I was sad that Florida state didn't make it because I, I felt like they did what they had to do to get there and, and should have been rewarded with that. Yeah, I actually agree with that too. I don't have numbers back behind it. I'm just all vibes over here. But um, <laughs> you know, I I think it's hard to keep an undefeated Power Five conference team out when you know they had a couple of nice wins on the schedule. They beat LSU, who's ranked in the top 15. They beat Louisville, who's in the top 15. So they had a couple of nice wins there. They beat Clemson. It's just very difficult to punish a team for an injury to a player and that's essentially what they did now is bama gonna give us a better matchup yeah probably probably. but you're still punishing florida state and that whole team Uh, and also you know uh, yeah they probably will give us a better matchup but uh, you know why (laughs) i mean we we don't know florida state has beaten every team that's played so far they've beaten every team they've played without jordan travis the defense looked incredible against louisville yeah. Uh, last night they they are, are you know earlier this week um uh, people have, have brought this up i know chris moxley brought this up in in uh our chats and and i believe tweeted it out as well that you know there there was a look ahead line released prior to jordan travis's injury that had florida state favored by nine and a half against louisville they covered that without jordan travis yeah. um they covered against florida uh uh you know without Jordan Travis. So uh, they have, have exceeded expectations. If, if, you know, people uh, want to use things like power rankings or, you know, what Vegas says, which I think I do not condone at all when it comes to making these decisions. Um, But even if you wanted to use those, Florida state has exceeded expectations. So um, yeah, they they probably were going to lose by double digits, two touchdowns, something like that, in, in the playoff matchup. Um, but we don't know that. Right. You know, uh, I had Oregon favored by seven last week, uh, so was technically on the wrong uh, on the right side, getting Washington to cover. But hey, Washington beat Oregon, you know, and and mm-hmm. looked great doing it, and and won and deserved to to be there. Um, I'd have Oregon favored again, but that doesn't matter. <laughs> you know, Washington <laughs> did it. Uh, so yeah, I. I I, I feel very strongly that Florida State should have been in there regardless of what we think might have happened. Yeah, I, I do tend to agree as well. Uh, but we'll get into the playoffs at the end. You know, we got to uh, get through all the other bowl matchups and we'll do it in, you know, um, in, in somewhat in order here. But before we get into these bowl matchups, this is the time of year where we see a lot of player movement we're seeing a lot of players enter the portal a lot of opt-outs in these bowl games and you mentioned that you know you're one of if not the only public model that factors in players and depth charts and everything like that so how do these opt-outs transfers affect your projections for these bowl matchups do they significantly impact the lines and you know we'll keep it general here just a little tease Mm -hmm. for everybody but (laughs) don't want to give too much away Sure. Yeah, they they do uh, they do impact the projections. Um, it's no big secret that you know quarterback is going to make the biggest impact. Um, I'm pretty public with sort of the the way that our or the the things that go into our 
projections, we have a number that we call roster strength, which is we have individual player ratings for every player on the roster based on their talent projection coming out of high school or transfer portal or whatever uh, from the recruiting services. We adjust that for experience and then we add uh, production that they can earn on the field to improve those individual player ratings. That's a piece of it. We have something we call team performance, which is uh, take a look at, at advanced stats, so wide variety, dozens of uh, advanced stats of, of across a ton of different categories. Um, throw them all into an equation, see what it spits out, basically a grade of how well a team has played on the field, statistically speaking. Um, and then we have coaching ratings, which are just those team performance ratings, but specific to uh, coaches and, and their history. So um, when those three things, you know, factor uh, together, uh, those individual players who are opting out or get injured, things like that, we remove them from the mix, it's going to lower that roster strength number a bit. And, and so sometimes, you know, when you see a, a drop using Florida State as the example, Jordan Travis um, is, you know, one of the top 10 quarterbacks in college football in our individual player ratings, moving him out of the depth chart, replacing him with somebody who is uh, the way we calculate things. We use, think of a, a Madden video game, right? We use video game ratings. Um, if Jordan Travis is a hundred rated player and um, you know, you, you move down to Tate Rodemaker, he's a 77 or uh, Glenn, the true freshman's a 74. That's, that's a big drop. Um, that might shift the line a touchdown. You know, I, I don't know exactly, depending on who who you're playing, but um, that that's a significant move. But then, you know, there are some other guys who are basically, uh, you know, their individual player rating doesn't doesn't have that big of a gap between uh, who who will be coming in and replacing them, regardless of whether or not they're experienced or you know, productive uh, to date. So um, they do change things, but, you know, sometimes it's a touchdown. Sometimes it's barely anything. Uh, sometimes there's a rare case like in NC State this year, we actually had Brennan Armstrong as a higher rated player than MJ Morris. So when he entered uh, or left the team uh, late in the year, we were on the, the beneficiary end of, of uh uh, a bump in our NC State ratings because Brandon Armstrong actually helped boost uh, NC State a little bit when the market and you know odds makers uh, thought that NC State got worse. We thought they got better, and then they started playing better. So uh, sometimes it works out that way as well. Awesome. So it sounds like, unless it's a quarterback, not too much of a shift going on here. Um, so your your rankings are and and projections are mostly a little nebulous but like mostly kind of set at this point um they're not going to change a huge amount unless it's a quarterback or unless it's a um premium premium player where he's replaced with somebody who's much worse uh i i talk about them being individual player ratings but we we take the individual player ratings and then we build position and unit ratings as well so you know a quarterback there's only one player at that position so it weights the most um if he you know you, you go to somebody who's 25 points lower 
that's going to be a big impact. But if you lose one offensive lineman, he might be, you know, a first round draft pick. Um, but that elite, you know, rated player at, at one offensive line position, um, he still spreads across, you know, there, there are four other starters and, and one guy who's going to come in. So you're just not going to see as big of a drop in that unit rating. And then that unit rating goes up to, you know, an offensive roster strength rating. And that offensive roster strength rating goes into the overall roster strength rating. And, and so um, it, it just sort of depends. I, I don't know this. I'm probably getting too, too in the weeds. You warned me against that, but. Uh, <laughs> no, no, you're good. You're good. Like I said, we're giving uh, people a little taste here. Yeah. Yeah. But it's, it's just how, how much does that one player impact uh, his, you know, his position group, then the unit uh, offense or defense, then the roster as a whole. And then how does that impact the the other, um, you know, how much of a drag is that on the other things, the team performance and the coaching ratings as well. Okay, so we will get into the New Year's six matchups here. The first four of the New Year's six. We'll save the playoffs to the very end. So Rose Bowl, Sugar Bowl, they'll be at the very end. But Fiesta Bowl, talking about players opting out, we have Bo Nix saying he is in for this bowl game. Number eight, Oregon versus number 23, Liberty. Uh, Oregon's 16.5-point favorite at the open. I haven't seen if the line's jumped at all, but I imagine with Bo Nix opting in, that might even have shifted a little bit more in Oregon's favor. Uh, how much of a favorite? I mean, Oregon's your number one team based on the power rankings here. Um, how much of a favorite here would Oregon be over Liberty? Is this a, a game that we can expect to be good? Uh, well, so one thing I cannot do uh, is you know, calculate, uh, any of the things like motivation. Right. And that's right, always right. a factor in that dog rating bowl games. Exactly. And, and who wants to be there. Right. Um, I have no ratings for that. I try to make no opinion on that. Uh, and quite honestly, I think sometimes, um, the market, uh, kind of over uh, fits some of those things, even some injuries and some opt outs. I think there's sometimes too much of a reaction to those things. But uh, also, you you can't uh, you can't really make a a you know the best guess on. Uh, you can assume a lot of things, but it's it's probably not smart to assume you know which players or, or which teams are most motivated. Um, even if it seems obvious sometimes. So uh, that sort of is a, a little bit of a caveat. Most people would say, oh, this Oregon team, you know, they're not going to be motivated to play in this game and Liberty is. So, uh, you know, you can't really um, uh, expect Oregon to, to blow them out. But sometimes it doesn't matter if you're motivated or not. If you're, uh, if you've got 85 guys who are far more talented than anybody on the other side, then, you know, they're probably going to win fairly easily anyway. But um, my projections are, are very, very, you know, very firm right now on 
Oregon with Bo Nix playing. That is, of course, the big piece. Um, he's a 110 rated player. Our video game ratings do not have a cap. There's no okay. like max 99 or uh, we used to cap it at, at 100, but actually made that change this year. And I think it's been a positive one for us. So okay. uh, Bo Nix is, is above a 100. He's a 10, uh, almost 110 rated player. Um, if he were to to not play in this game, it, it'd be a significant drop off to, to Ty Thompson. Um, but him playing, that's huge. If Troy Franklin plays, he's over 100 as well. That's huge too. Um, if Oregon is is at full strength, we expect uh, Oregon would be favored by 18 and a half in our team strength ratings, which is okay. our uh, official model. It's the one that incorporates everything that we do based on those team strength uh, power rankings like I was talking about. Uh, we have two other models that I always like to, to take different views of a matchup. Uh, one we call talent edge. It's only talent numbers. So it's only uh, roster strength and, and, you know, two, four, seven ratings on three ratings, that sort of stuff. Uh, if talent were the only thing that mattered in this game, we'd have Oregon favored by uh, nearly 23 and a half. And then sort of the complete opposite model is what I call prism or projected scoring margin. It only cares about stats. So it only cares about, those team performance ratings, talent doesn't factor in at all. Um, and in that one, we'd have Oregon favored by nearly 18 points. So um, all three of our projection models, if the you know if we were to, to be able to grade against the 16 and a half that it currently is, uh, all of our models would be on Oregon as a favorite to cover, which as we talk about on the tailgate each week has been a really, really good spot for our, our projections this year. We've, we've had a lot of success in that scenario. Okay. All right. So Oregon is big favorite in this one. I think I'm going to be on the side of Oregon and Oregon covering, uh, especially if it's at 16 and a half. Um, but you mentioned your player ratings here. So Caden Salter was a phenomenal, phenomenal player for fantasy purposes. He ended up finishing as the QB three, just got edged out at the end of the year by uh, Dylan Gabriel. But where do you have uh Caden Salter as a player rating. Um, and, and, you know, he's the type of player that I think could impact this matchup. Yeah, absolutely. And and he's had a phenomenal season. Um, the, the Conference USA Championship game was uh, incredible. I mean, numbers wise, it was, you know, video game numbers. Um, Caden Salter is a pretty highly rated recruit coming in to high school. So right. he starts at a pretty uh, high floor. Um, and then he's been incredibly productive this year so um his his baseline rating uh would have been i think at 83 coming into this year but he has been so productive he's ad actually added uh 14 points just based on this year's production okay. uh to his uh to his rating uh we also do uh, a little bit of an add-on uh that that uh, a projected uh a couple of points because uh, Salter, you know, you can just expect him to have a good game. So he's probably going to outplay uh, what he's got right now. And and uh, so we get him up to about a 99 and a half rated player. I mean, he's uh, right now, uh, Liberty is a group. The quarterback position ranks 16th. Uh, okay. Salter is a starter is 13th in his uh, player rating. Man, that is that's, a, I mean, Nabo Nix is probably higher, I imagine. Bo Nix, Bo Nix is, is one of the top. Yeah. yeah. He's so um, 110 almost. But that's right. that big of a gap. Uh, Nix is third. 
third highest as, as far as starters go. All right. That should be interesting. And I think Caden Salter will probably be a player to watch for potentially transferring up to another school at this point. But moving into the Orange Bowl here, we got Georgia, number six, falling after that loss to Alabama against Florida State, number five, a team that you and I both think may have gotten robbed there. Uh, Florida opens up, or Georgia opens up at uh, minus 13 and a half at this point. Uh, I think there's a lot of talk about Beck potentially coming back after that, you know, loss that they suffered some, some, uh, we might see some unfinished business uh, hashtag from Georgia here. Are, are your numbers kind of lining up with Georgia? I mean, I know they were one of your top teams. Yeah. So I have Georgia as a, a pretty clear favorite um, by more than a touchdown, certainly, but quite honestly, uh, I don't. I don't think the numbers are going to get anywhere close to uh, what what the odds makers currently have. Um, we're not even in double digits in any of the three projection models. So, okay. uh, seems pretty clear. We're going to be on the Florida State side of things in this. Um, honestly, I don't. I don't hate it uh, because if I am trying to play the you know who's motivated game, uh, I think Florida State's probably going to be pretty motivated think georgia maybe not quite as much think we're probably going to see more opt-outs on the georgia side than we are the florida state side so i wouldn't you know be shocked if our numbers get even a little bit tighter um the talent edge and the team strength numbers the prism model stays the same because the stats right. don't change right but um yeah we're we're almost guaranteed to be on the florida state side on this uh at least against the spread and in, in our official projections okay uh, i think i put if I was putting money on it right now, I would probably lean Georgia, but we'll see how some opt-outs end up shaking out. Uh, next one, the Peach Bowl, and this is obviously my favorite bowl of the <laughs> offseason here. A little bit of homerism. We got Penn State, number 10, up against Ole Miss. Uh, Penn State, a four-point favorite. It opened at three and a half. It shifted slightly towards Penn State's favor. And I, this is, I think this is just going to be a really fun game. This is going to be strength versus strength. Ole Miss's offense versus Penn State's defense. One of the best defenses in the country. Ole Miss has a very, very productive offense. Lane Kiffin gets very creative. Um, what are your numbers saying about this matchup here? Do I have a reason to be hopeful for Penn State <laughs> to, to put together the infinity gauntlet and win all of the New Year's Six Bowls? Get this beach oh. bowl win. <laughs> uh, well, so I'm I'm a little bit biased as well. Uh, I grew up in the Atlanta area. Went to uh, several Peach Bowls uh, okay. growing up before it was a New Year's Six game. It was a lot easier to to get tickets, uh, but uh, definitely enjoyed that experience. Uh, this is one that that numbers wise, we're kind of all over the place. Uh, the team strength model has it as basically a coin flip. Uh, does have Penn State favored, but it's by less than a quarter of a point right now. Uh, the stats only model loves Penn State, has has uh, the Nittany Lions expected to cover, uh, currently favored by nearly seven and a half points. Okay. But the Talent Edge model, and my numbers have just been off the charts high on Ole Miss uh, as far as talent uh, roster strength ratings so far this year. They had a Talent Edge in the Alabama game. Obviously, that didn't work uh -huh. out. But okay. um uh, so Ole Miss has a, a talent edge rating or, or you know projected spread of uh, five and a half in in 
this matchup. So uh, it is, it is. So usually when, when I see in this part of the reason why I do three models, because sometimes they tell you very different things. Um, and that to me can, can be, you know, uh, can learn from that. So right. um, this is one that I don't, don't really see uh, any real edge just because, you know, the, the numbers are so all over the place. I, I could see it going a variety of, of different ways. Could definitely see it playing out where Penn State wins this one by double digits. Could see it where Ole Miss does. Uh, could see it coming down to a last second field goal like our team strength model, you know, might suggest. Okay. And at Penn State obviously just hired new offensive coordinator, Andy Kotelnicki. Um, I'm going to have to get the pronunciation yeah. down on that one. Yeah. I got all off season. I got all off season, but <laughs> Huge um, hire. Big fan, by the way. Okay, good. I was just going to ask you about that. I, I'm i not super familiar with him. I know he has been connected to Lance Leipold, um, going back to Buffalo, going back to UW-Whitewater, where they were a juggernaut. Um, so I have reason to be optimistic here about Kotelnicki. His offense uh, seems to bode well for Penn State then. Yeah, I think so. I mean, this year, Kansas uh, ranks number five in my offensive team performance numbers. Wow. Uh, top 15, both passing and rushing, which is impressive, especially since Jalen Daniels hasn't really played very much this year. Jason Bean's right. not, uh, you know, known as a, a great passer, um, but they've just been incredibly efficient, uh, both both running in and passing this year. Uh, he grades as, as uh, 23rd in our offensive coordinator okay. rankings, but that's really kind of given him uh, that that's underrating him because okay. those are based on team performance uh, numbers throughout his entire history. So it counts his time at Buffalo. It counts his time at Kansas. Um, and, you know, there's just there, they haven't had elite uh, numbers so far compared to, you know, the rest of the country and, and uh, other, other coaches, but I think he's done, a great job of doing more with less. And then also I'm not always, you know, just a numbers guy. I've really evolved to that. Um, But I have a, I have a little bit of a a coaching background as well and and spent a lot of time uh, on, I mean, this is like pre Twitter on uh, coaching uh, message boards. (laughs) Okay. And one thing that I pay attention to still is in, in circles like that, whether it's, you know, coaching Twitter or, uh, uh, give a, a shout out to coachhuey.com, which I spent hundreds of hours on uh, when I was a young coach. But um, I pay attention to what are what are high school coaches talking about? What are the, yeah. the coaches that they get excited about? The offenses that they are excited about? Who do they want to study? Um, and, you know, a few years ago, that was Coastal Carolina, Jamie Chadwell. Right. Uh, they blew up. And this year, or the last couple of years, it's been Kansas. Um, I mean, clearly is is that that offense uh, that gets not just high school coaches, but high school coaches are usually a good gauge for uh, the coaching profession as a whole, um, and things flow, you know, up and, and down. Uh, but this this offense is what really, really right now gets the coaching community excited has the last couple of years and and to me that's a really really good sign i am now very excited about this like i said i (laughs) I was i liked the hire i was 
not super familiar with it, but I mean, you're just everything you're saying there is me very excited now. Uh, I am curious. One last stop question here on on Penn State before we you know turn this into the Penn State podcast. Um, <laughs> where did uh, where was Mike Yursich in those rankings prior uh, to obviously him being let go uh, a few weeks ago? So again, this is based on those team performance ratings. Uh, right. So and and those team performance ratings are adjusted for things like strength of schedule and and things like that. So uh, Yursich wasn't you know doesn't have a horrible rating. He, mm-hmm. he comes in lower, but 36. That's still respectable. Okay. You know, well above FBS average. Uh, but he had some really really good years at, at different with you know yeah stops. the Gundy yeah mm-hmm. Oklahoma State. And the the ratings are weighted where the most recent seasons count the most. You know, this season counts the most, last season counts the next most, and you know, kind of moves on from there. Um, but, uh, you know, so numbers-wise, it's it's still seen as an upgrade, but it might not be seen as like a, a massive uh, upgrade. Uh, but I think that it it is more so than than my numbers would suggest. I, I wouldn't, you know, even though we do have something we call an offensive coordinator rating, and yours mm-hmm. was 36, and I'm bad with the pronunciation as well. Kotelnicki, something like that. Yeah, was twenty third. I think we're probably somewhere in the range of you're moving from a guy who's become a maybe FBS average coordinator um, to somebody who is really right now one of the most respected play callers in the country. I love hearing that. Uh, All right, we'll move into the Cotton Bowl here. Last of the New Year's six matchups, and this is Missouri number nine going up against Ohio State. Number seven, this line opened at six and a half yesterday. And I got on Missouri at this point, and I feel very good about it because it's now shifted to Ohio State minus three. And that's due to some of these opt-outs that we were talking about. Um, Obviously, people are expecting Marvin Harrison Jr. and Emeka to opt out. So I don't think that that's necessarily been baked in yet, but that's kind of what I was thinking. But the big one is Kyle McCord entering the transfer portal and this is going to be significant i mean we we just felix did a video on our uh youtube channel to go check that out to see what that means from a fantasy perspective from but from a betting perspective kyle mccord how much does he impact this rate uh matchup for you i know you said it was enough to knock ohio state down does that close that gap between them and missouri uh, not yet. Not yet. It doesn't. So if the game were played today and really the only, uh, major change that we've, we've got is that Kyle McCord news. I know Julian Fleming just entered the, the transfer right. portal. As Forgot well. about Fleming. Um, not as big of a mover numbers wise. And, and even though, you know, folks are definitely split on Kyle McCord and there's, there's plenty of uh, negative, uh, out there. He's still, you know, in the nineties, mid nineties in our, our player ratings. Um, so we do see a little bit of a, a dip there, partly because Devin Brown's just not experienced. He's, he's right. a lower rated player right now. Uh, hasn't been able to add any of those productive, uh, production points. Um, so as it stands right now, Ohio state, is basically a double-digit favorite in all three of our projection models. Um, you touched on, you know, it's probably likely that Marvin Harrison Jr. is not going to play in this game. I agree. I don't typically make that change until it's official or at right. least, you know, reported, heavily rumored. Um, 
it seems pretty obvious, but I'll I'll wait to to make that. So Marvin Harrison is a one seventeen and a half, so that's <laughs> going to be a pretty big uh, drop. If Ikbuka doesn't play, he's a one hundred rated player, so there's going to okay. be a drop there. If Travion Henderson doesn't play, he's a one oh seven almost. Mm-hmm. Uh, so that's a big jump. So so if those three don't play, then you're going to see a drop from. Uh, you know, a running back group that ranks number two in our position strength ratings, wide receiver group, uh, clearly number one in our, our ratings. Those are probably, I would expect, going to drop out of at least the top 10, maybe top 15. Okay. Um, and so in that case, you'll probably see Ohio State drop from number three right now in our power rankings, probably to something a little closer to where, you know, the committee and, and the pollsters have them in that, you know, six, seven, eight range. Um and in which case I would expect our number to, to come in, uh, you know, maybe it won't be a huge shift, but it'll it'll probably at that point tighten up pretty well to, to what the odds makers and, and the market have right now. Uh, Ohio State still favored, um, but, you know, by a touchdown, six, maybe, maybe start to uh, tick down a, a, a tiny bit more than that even. But um, right now, Ohio State pretty clearly uh, favored by by double digits or, or close to. Okay, well that my wallet doesn't love hearing that. So like I said, I did hop on Missouri as soon as that opened. Figured we'd see some opt outs. Well, everything. you probably. I mean, it's only going to go down, right? Probably. The more we hear, the more we hear those uh, bits of news. When when the you know a lot of that's probably already factored in. You know, I'm a little slow on making adjustments right. like that. Partly it's just the way I operate always, always have mm-hmm. um, a little more methodical. Uh, and you want to make sure it's official first too. We're assuming. Yeah. I don't, I don't want our team yeah. profiles to show something that is currently incorrect. It right now, it would be incorrect to say that Marvin Harrison jr. Isn't, I mean, I don't know, maybe that's not the right way of phrasing it, but uh, he hasn't said he's not, you know, right. at least as of recording. So I don't want to put words in his mouth, so to speak. Um, but the the odds makers i'm sure have no problem doing that and saying absolutely he's not playing in this game there's a hundred percent chance he's not playing in this game so our number is going to reflect that uh nevertheless when that news becomes official you're going to see more attention to that and and you're probably going to see a little bit more movement in the market not necessarily the odds makers but the the market will say oh yeah he's not going to play you know, bet on Missouri. So if you, if you bet on Missouri earlier, um, then, then you're probably going to see some closing line value uh, because I would, I would assume, you know, there's a report that Harrison's not going to play. Then the next day, Ibuka's not going to play. Then the next day, Henderson's not going to play. However many defensive players might. Mayan Williams out, opted to, out. Tui Molo. Uh, yeah, Mayan Williams. Well, he was out there with an injury. Right. Um, but, uh, you know, Tui Molo, if he's out, boom, there's another, you know, news cycle. Eichenberg, if he's out, you know, all those, all those uh, reports are going to add up. You're going to see more people. I, I expect jump on Missouri and, and drive that number down a little bit more um, to the point where you're, you're probably going to end up with, you know, three, three points, something like that. And in, in closing line value, if I were to guess right now. All right. Well, I feel better now. Um, <laughs> last question on this bowl game, and then we'll hop into the other matchups. We'll hit some of these highlights. Uh, we won't go through every single bowl matchup, but, uh, if Marvin Harrison jr. And a opt out, we are, always looking for 
the next wide receiver up at Ohio State. They have such a great track record of developing these guys, sending them to the NFL. That's kind of what we look for here on, on this podcast. We look for the Campus to Canton studs. And they have a number of five stars that they brought in. Carnell Tate. They brought in Brandon Innes. Noah Rogers was a high four star in this class. Keon Graves was a high four star in last class. And we already talked about Julian Fleming entering the portal. If Marvin Harrison Jr. and Ekmeka opt out, Fleming in the portal, who would you have right now projected to lead this wide receiver group? Um, is that, I would assume, Tate? Yeah, I, I would expect Carnell Tate uh, would be the, the biggest beneficiary. Um, I lean pretty heavily on on other sources to you know make make decisions like that. Um, and I you know pull up PFF who's who's next in line as far as targets this year. It's it's Carnell Tate. Uh, he's got he's got 24 targets um, that would lead the wide receiver group if those three are, are currently out next on the list. Uh, Xavier Johnson wouldn't be surprised if he um, sees a lot of, uh, you know, playtime and, and targets in the bowl game uh, as a you know, six year senior or whatever um, to, to play in this game, try to get a little little more uh, added to his highlight tape and, and catch the attention of some pro scouts. Um, and then, you know, they haven't seen very much uh, action so far this year, but uh, Brandon Ennis, Jaden Ballard, a uh, couple of targets so far this year. Um, not not very many overall snaps, but would expect that that they're going to be a in a position to play quite a bit as well. That would make me look smart if Brandon Innes gets a lot of work. I've been preaching all year to just hang on to him. Just wait. We'll see what happens at the end of the year. He's not a year one zero yet, which is for anybody not familiar, it's a theory developed by Austin and Chris to kind of eliminate wide receivers based on not hitting certain thresholds. So just by hitting it doesn't mean you're going to be amazing, but if you do hit it, it's at least a pretty good indicator. If you don't hit it, it's a pretty good indicator that you're not going to have NFL success. So pump the brakes on Brandon Innes yet. Let's watch and see what happens. All right, we'll dive into these bowl game matchups here. And like I said, we won't hit all of them. We have some fantasy, some of the more fantasy relevant topics in these games. First up, the Myrtle Beach Bowl. We got Ohio out of the Mac going up against Georgia Southern Ohio, a two and a half point favorite. And Ohio was an offense that for fantasy purposes, we really thought coming into the year was going to be a source of fantasy production. Curtis Rourke, C. Bangura, Sam Wigless, all guys with high expectations. And they definitely disappointed. Curtis Rourke finishes the QB 72. C. Bangura, the RB 82. Sam Wigless, the wide receiver, 153, and Miles Cross actually finished ahead of Wigless as the wide receiver, 133. But none of those guys were really players you were starting on a week-in, week-out basis. Did we overestimate Ohio's offense for fantasy purposes after that big year from 2022 that we saw down the stretch from guys like Rourke Banger and Wigless? Um, I I don't think. I don't think we did anything wrong, quite honestly. I think based okay. on the information that we had, uh, Ohio came into the season ranked number four in offensive returning production, the way we calculate it. Uh, Rourke was back. Wigless, like you said. Bagura had a great year last year. Um, what, four offensive line starters were back. Right. How could we How could we expect a, a drop-off like this? Like, I'm, I'm 
sort of uh, right now, this time in the, the off season, uh, evaluating sort of my process on, on a lot of things, but I've been thinking more and more as I've, uh, joined campus to Canton and, and, you know, get to hang out in the, the discord and the, the, uh, slack and, and all of that. I've been thinking a lot more fantasy minded people that play in leagues with me probably wouldn't, uh, know that based on my performance <laughs> this year, but I've, I've started to, to think a little more, you know, in terms of fantasy and, and, and things like that and sort of how I'm going to structure uh, some off season work and, and sort of some strategies uh, drafting in, in the early months. And I gotta be honest, you know, if I were to look at uh, everything, Ohio, uh, you know, and, and make some changes to some of the things I'm, I'm wanting to implement. I'd be all over Ohio <laughs> coming into this year. I would be all over Rourke. I'd be all over Bingura. I'd be all over Wigless. Sometimes it just doesn't happen. And, uh, you know, maybe the the injury to Rourke at the end of last year, um, we just sort of expected, you know, enough time would, you know, would, would pass that he wouldn't be impacted at all. Um and it probably was. And then just, you know, sometimes people have a really, really good year and they follow it up with a not very good year. So um, I don't think there were other than potentially the injury, which, you know, you also have to be careful of over, uh, you know, putting too much emphasis on, on an injury because he very well could have come back and, and uh, been, you know, great. Right. Um, but you know, there was no evidence other than other than the injury to suggest that Ohio was going to drop off like this. So so sometimes you just get unlucky <laughs> process over results. Um, another offense, Georgia Southern in this game, they were a good source of fantasy production. You know, Georgia Southern Davis Brin uh, was the QB 59. So he was very up and down. But, um, you know, he had some huge games. Jalen White was the RB42 on a fantasy points per game basis. He missed a couple of games um, towards the end of the year. Caleb Hood was the wide receiver 25, uh, very productive. Derwin Burgess was the wide receiver 74. Um, so there was definitely some fantasy value to be had here. Is this the type of offense that, you know, as of right now, everything we're hearing is that this coaching staff is going to be back. Is this another offense we should be looking at for next guy up for next year? So kind of kind of thinking about along the same lines of, of uh, what I said about Ohio right now, I'm I'm in the position where uh, I'm probably not going to be super high on Georgia Southern um, okay. in terms of jumping on on their players. You're, you're absolutely right. I mean, they've been they've been very, very productive, uh, but Davis Brin is gone. Caleb Hood is going to be gone. Um, you know, Jalen White's been injured, but he might, he might be gone. Um, he, he could opt to, to, you know, start his pro career might be back. Hopefully, you know, he is. And if so, I, I probably would be pretty excited about him because would expect that, you know, with the, the changes at quarterback and wide receiver, um, he'll be in line for an even heavier workload, but, um, I'm going to be focusing really heavily on, uh, not just good systems because that really, really burnt me. Uh, this year, investing super highly in, in you know places like Western Kentucky and, and Texas Tech and uh, things like that, and Georgia Southern is in that same family. Um, and I think that I'm going to lean a little more on 
experience and familiarity with the system. Georgia Southern might bring in a you know home run hire or a home run uh, transfer quarterback. Uh, might you know Burgess might be back. That would be great. Um, might bring in a, a you know another transfer or two at, at wide receiver, um, and it'll look really really good on paper, and it might you know work out. Um, but I'm going to be a little more cautious uh, on that level of turnover. Um, happened to me with Tennessee as, too, uh, as well this year also. Um, and I think Georgia Southern is just going to fit that uh, mold, fit into that bucket a little bit, um, that, that I'm just going to be a little more cautious with them this year. Okay. Next year. Sa- sage advice. Sage advice there. Um, moving into, like I said, we'll skip around a little bit here. Moving into the Independence Bowl, Texas Tech. Uh, two and a half point favorites versus Colorado or California. Um, Taj Brooks was a fantasy star down the stretch. He just put the put the offense on his back, and he probably carried a lot of fantasy teams. Um, should we be looking at Texas Tech's next running back up, or is this offense going to go back to more of like the Zach Kitley offense that we saw from 2022, especially with news of Tyler Shuck entering the portal? And a mass exodus, a wide receiver, Miles Price, Jaron Bradley, both also in the portal. Yeah, yeah. And and something I failed to mention on the previous game, Ohio is getting hit hard uh, in the portal right now. Bangura is in the portal, right. um, multiple receivers in the portal, things like that. So that's that's going to impact our projection once all said and done. We get a little closer to there. But uh, to your to your question here, I think I think they really leaned on Brooks out of necessity. Um right. I would think that if Zach Kitley is back at Texas Tech next year, um, and he is, I know he interviewed for the UTEP head coaching job. Sounds like he did not get it, but he might be in the mix for um, other jobs, uh, whether it's a play caller somewhere else or, or um, a head coaching job, maybe at a group of five level. But if he's back, I would expect that he wants to be more of the uh, type of play caller that he was at, at, uh, Houston, now Christian, um, formerly Houston Baptist and Western Kentucky. Um, and what we expected Texas tech would look like the last couple of years. And it just hasn't worked out, but, um, maybe, you know, with the success, the level of success that, that Brooks has had this year, level of production, um, he's a little more willing to, uh, go in that direction or lean a little heavier on the running game. Um, but I think he would really rather throw the ball around a bunch and just had to, to sort of, you know, look at, at how things were uh, sort of laying themselves out with the injuries and, and whatnot. And the fact that Brooks is just legitimately quite good um, that, that they just started to, to feed him. Um, but I'm not, I'm also going to be hesitant on Texas Tech running backs next year as well. I mean, maybe if they get, you know, uh, a super transfer that that sort of fits that 230-pound mold that Taj Brooks is, uh, I'll definitely draft in the the mid to late rounds um, next year, sure, based on on last year's or this this year's production. Uh, but my my gut tells me that. Texas Tech wide receivers are still probably going to be who I would uh, look to target more so than than running backs. Okay, and a wide receiver that 
for Texas Tech that I kind of had my eye on, and it was mostly because I picked him up in a 24-team league. It was very deep. Um, Coy Eakin, he was a freshman this year. He kind of had a little bit of production there, and with these other two, Price and Bradley hitting the portal. Um, you were a big Dre McCray guy. Was that right, or was that Chris Moxley? Uh, yeah, I really don't want to talk about it. <laughs> Fair enough. <laughs> yeah, no, no. I, I was, yeah, I, I was, I was big on Dre McCray. I'm, I'm also uh, an FCS guy, and so I definitely okay. do fall into a trap sometimes of like, oh, that guy was really good as a FCS player. Oh, and he's going to Texas Tech. I love Texas Tech. I love, uh, yeah. It, it was, it was, it all uh, built up into me having a lot of shares of Dre McCray and and looking really, really silly about it. <laughs> Gotcha. Uh, well, hey, maybe maybe some hope for next year uh, with sure. him and, and Eakin. Um, Baron Morton. Well, at... and, and sorry, to interrupt, on, on oh, uh, the topic of Eakin, um, you know, just looking at the production points, the way that we do things, um, he added as many production points to his uh, individual player rating based on his on-field performance this year, as many as Jerron Bradley, more than Dre McRae, more than Xavier White. Um, and I want to say more than, uh, yeah, definitely more than Miles Price as well. So uh, Koi Eakin, you know, already is is just as productive on a, you know, uh, per game basis uh, as those guys that we got real excited about. Okay, good to know. Uh, with Baron Morton likely being the coming back, likely leading the helm there, um, how much of a difference was there between Shuck and Morton in your player ratings there? And is this an offense that we can hope Baron Morton takes a step in next year? Uh, or is Baron Morton maybe holding this offense back a little? Uh, there, there was a, a gap. Shuck is a 92 uh, in our, our video game ratings. Um, Morton is an 86. So, not a not a huge gap, but there's a there's a little bit of of room there. Um, Morton will get a little bit of a boost with a, another year of experience. We wait right. based on you know what a what uh, how many years a guy's been in college and things like that. So uh, he will be like an eighty nine uh, preseason next year or something like that. Um, he he was one of the highest rated recruits in Texas Tech history, um, so he's he's just you know on paper he's he's going to rate relatively high, uh, but you're you're absolutely right he just hasn't been that good or certainly that productive um, so far this year I I or really in his Texas Tech career quite honestly um, I. I'm torn. I I could see him developing into a productive Texas Tech quarterback. I, I could see it playing out to where, okay, Brooks is gone. Morton gets a full offseason. He's the starter. Uh, you know, Kitley's back. He really would prefer to uh, throw the ball around like we all expected. Um, and, you know, maybe it all comes together and, and we get – finally that that texas tech offense that um is a, a cff just rocket ship or, or whatever um but been waiting on that for two years and it hasn't yep. really happened so uh you know maybe it, it's silly of me to to hold out that hope um but if if uh 
you know, if all stays relatively the same, Morton's the guy and and Kitley's the the play caller, I'll probably have, you know, a few more Morton shares in best balls and pro- hopefully the later rounds. Hopefully I won't do what I did this year and draft Tyler Shuck in like the second, third, fourth round, something like that. <laughs> all right. Moving into the Boca Raton Bowl here, South Florida was a source of some high-end fantasy options. It was a pretty concentrated offense. Byron Brown, the redshirt freshman, finished the year as the QB6. Sean Atkins at wide receiver finished as the wide receiver 23. So both very high-end options that you got cheap. We liked uh, Alex Golsh coming over from that Tennessee offense, kind of instituting that type of an offense at the G5 level. But how good was this South Florida offense really? And do you think we can expect a repeat from this offense as a whole? Um, so to answer how how good was the offense really? I I calculate things a little bit different than we do in, in CFF terms. Sure. Uh, so an yeah. offensive team performance, which are a lot of efficiency metrics and, and things like that. I care nothing about raw stats. Um, filter out garbage time when possible. Uh, try to get, you know, drill down to uh, how how efficient is this offense. And USF ranked 80th in overall team performance. Okay. Uh, they were 56th passing and 69th rushing. Um, I really, really like Byron Brown. Um, I really like what I saw with Sean Atkins. Um, if both of those guys come back, I'm going to be pretty high on them going into to next season. Um, but, you know, how good is the offense really? It's mostly middle of the pack. And, and in some uh, some categories that I put a, a decent amount of weight on, um, they were worse than FBS average. I mean, success rate is an example. They were 108th in the, in the country in success rate. Um, but, you know, yards per play against FBS opponents, they were 52nd. Points per drive, uh, FBS opponents filtered out garbage time, they're 64th. Uh, yards per pass attempt, they're 40th. So, you know, they make some big plays certainly through uh, through the air. But um, they are not a consistent offense yet. That probably will come with Brown. You know, he was in a three-way quarterback battle, it sounded right. like, uh, up until week one. So if he's clearly the starter, which you would expect if he's back at USF, he definitely will be. Uh, he's probably a candidate to to – maybe go to a power five uh, school potentially. But um, if he's back at USF, he's a full-time starter. Um, you know, he's, he's going to have a full off season to, to prep with that, you know, mentally and, and physically um, that I expect that the offense as a whole is going to be better next year. Um, and he'll definitely be a big part of that. And if Atkins is back, then I would expect that he'll be, you know, his favorite target once again. Uh, so we'd expect a, a you know, really high, uh, pre- set of preseason expectations for for both of those players. Okay, so South Florida potentially a repeat, maybe a little bit of jump up in efficiency to offset any sort of uh, volume from garbage time that might we might not see. But um, next one here is not really fantasy related. This is just a matchup that I found really interesting as I was going through these, and and it's the Armed Forces Bowl, James Madison. Uh, we all know the story about James Madison ended up, you know, uh, was 11 and one. They don't get into the conference championship due to the silly rule, 
about jumping up from the FCS level. Uh, they go up against Air Force. Air Force has a rushing, a strong rushing offense. We were, you know, that's a more of an option attack. Uh, we're all pretty familiar with that. James Madison has a very solid rushing defense. They've been very efficient. This is kind of a strength on strength matchup here. So, like I said, setting aside fantasy just for a second, uh, the Armed Forces Bowl. What are your numbers looking at? Like, who is who do you expect to come out on top in a strength on strength matchup like this? Uh, short answer. I have no idea because, um, this is one that I don't really trust the numbers on. Uh, these are two teams that, that the way we calculate things, you know, it works really, I think pretty well for about 125 teams. Um, that leaves, you know, eight or so that, that I don't always trust what our numbers say. And partly it's because, uh, all service academies, basically their entire roster is made up of two-star recruits. Um, if they're not super experienced and are able to build up those production points, they are just never going to, um, you know, build uh, those roster strength ratings or those individual player ratings. So obviously a team like air force is really, really good. They are well-prepared. They're well-coached. Um, the, the type of offense they run is unique. That gives them an advantage, helps limit the, um, you know, help, helps narrow that talent gap, uh, that they are most often facing. Um, and so I just feel like we're always underrating Air Force. We are also always underrating James Madison because they just moved up from the FCS right. level two years ago. Uh, the very first ingredient, what we put in in our numbers, are those high school recruiting ratings, uh, which they're not perfect, but more often than not, they're, they're a pretty good starting point. Um, and James Madison, similar to you know, Army, Navy, and Air Force, um, coming up to the FBS level two years ago, their entire roster was unrated players or, you know, two-star recruits with the occasional, uh, you know, FBS transfer. Um, they have added a lot more in terms of production and, and things like that. Guys like Jordan McLeod, who's in the portal, may or may not play, by the way, um, probably won't. Uh, Reggie Brown, you know, uh, Tyson Lawton and, and, you know, guys like that on the offensive side of the ball, they've, they've become relatively highly rated players. Elijah Sherratt having a huge, right. um, defensively very similar. James Madison grades out incredibly well, has the last two years in our defensive team performance numbers. They're 11th this year. They were like fourth or something last year. Um, but they are also dealing with a lot of portal stuff, lost their head coach, um, by my count right now, four, uh, defensive starters are in the portal. Their starting quarterback is in the portal. Will those guys play right now? We, we have them listed as playing because, you know, just cause you're in the transfer portal doesn't mean you won't last year. Western Kentucky had a dozen guys go in the transfer portal and almost all of them played in the bowl game. So, uh, it's too early to, to say for sure one way or the other, all that said, you didn't know I was so long-winded, maybe, when you asked oh, me. Oh, no, I, I did. <laughs> you oh, knew? I, okay, all right. I did. I was fully prepared for it. Like I said, I'll probably get some slack in the slack, in the slack channel here about you know, being a sicko now. But a three-hour really show? Interested. I was really uh, interested in this matchup. Okay, so uh, team strength-wise, our primary model has James Madison favored by 8.7. Uh, the Talent Edge uh, model has James Madison favored by 11. The prism model stats only model, which is probably the one that we should pay the most attention to, because, like I said, all those all those 
individual player right. numbers and roster strength, all that, throw that out the window. Let's focus on the, the prism model. That one has James Madison favored by six. Okay. So um, James Madison pretty clearly favored uh, all above the, the three that we've got here. But, you know, Air Force is probably going to have its same head coach, going to not have any uh, transfer portal or opt-outs or anything like that. I I would feel more comfortable, I think, on the Air Force side of things. Uh, we're going to be, it looks like, on James Madison, unless I go ahead and pull out uh, McCord from the starting lineup and a couple of those defensive starters, um, in which case we'd, we'd, I guess, get close to, to what the odds makers have. But, um, yeah, I, I, I feel much better about Air Force in this one just because James Madison's dealing with a lot of other uh, off-the-field things leading up to this game. All right. Like I said I had to go had to go sicko mode there for a minute. That just jumped out to me. Uh we'll we'll get out of the weeds into the Alamo Bowl. Number 14 Arizona versus number 12 Oklahoma. Arizona three and a half point favorite. Both of these offenses uh were very good this year, especially for fantasy purposes. We had Dylan Gabriel finishes the QB2, although he's now in the portal. Um, you know, we had Tet McMillan finishes the wide receiver nine. Jacob Cowing is the wide receiver 27. So a lot of good options uh, in this game. Now we'll see what Dylan Gabriel ends up doing. Because, like you mentioned, just because you're in the portal doesn't mean you're not going to play. But it does sound like it's Jackson Arnold time. But I think bigger than that is the loss of Jeff Levy. Mm-hmm. Um, what is What do your numbers have the impact of the loss of Jeff Levy in, to this Oklahoma offense? Uh, so we do run offensive coordinator ratings, as, as we talked about, uh, but those actually don't factor into the actual point spread projections. So, uh, you know, whether it was Levy or, or somebody else calling it for the first time, um, that that doesn't change our projection. What would change, you know, what we can't adjust right now Um I could put some sort of 5% penalty maybe on it. That that might be something worth exploring in the offseason. But right now, Oklahoma ranks 15th in offensive team performance overall, 11th passing, 24th rushing. All of that was with Jeff Levy calling the plays and Dylan Gabriel as the quarterback. That's not going to change. You know, Maybe I work in some sort of penalty to, to that in the future, but I don't expect I'll do that uh, this year. So that's probably overrating Oklahoma a bit. Okay. Um, I did go ahead and remove Dylan Gabriel from the uh, uh, the depth chart. I don't expect that he will play. Um, I've still got Oklahoma favored by six and a half. So that is a okay. big difference, <laughs> obviously. Um, that's in the team strength model. Talent edge is six and a half. Prism model is nine and a half. Uh, I don't feel particularly confident about that because you would expect Oklahoma's not going to be super motivated, going to be more impacted uh, by the, the transfer portal, Arizona, first bowl, you know, in a long time. Um, and Or they get to a bowl last year. Uh, anyway, first, like, really, really good team yeah. uh, in a long time. And you think that they're probably going to be at full strength for the most part uh, as far as, you know, 
available players and, and motivation and, and all that stuff. So uh, I feel like we're probably on the wrong side of things, but maybe this is one where we get lucky and everybody's sort of over, um, you know, overrating the impact of losing Gabriel, losing Levy, things like that. And it ends up being a, a closer game or Oklahoma, which still, you know, pound for pound, player for player is a more talented team than Arizona. It's a deeper team. Um, you know, maybe maybe we're fortunate that that our numbers are a little slower or don't, you know, factor in a couple of those things that that uh, the market and the odds makers put a lot of emphasis on that we just can't, uh, you know, calculate. Okay. And then Arizona had a, a pretty productive offense as well. Where do they rank in your offensive production numbers? So Arizona is number seven in offensive team performance overall. Wow. They're 23rd okay. passing and number six uh, rushing. So very, very efficient. Um, they're top 20 in points per game. They're uh, 11th in yard for play, ninth in points per drive, sixth in success rate, eighth in uh, EPA per play or the equivalent. We use college football data dot com's uh ppa per play numbers um so yeah across the board i mean they are legitimately one of the very best offenses in the country wow okay uh and then moving into what was also one of the best offenses in the country in the relia quest bowl we have number 13 lsu playing wisconsin uh lsu 10 and a half or 10 point favorites here but LSU's likely losing a lot of production this year. Jaden Daniels getting a lot of early buzz. He was QB1 by nearly 100 points over the next closest player. Uh, Malik wow. Neighbors was the wide receiver one. Brian Thomas Jr., wide receiver 11. There's a lot of buzz about them leaving for the draft as well. With all of this loss of pro- potential loss of production on the offense from LSU, should we be looking at Garrett Nussmeyer as a potential fantasy stud for next year? Or do you think this was a lot of this production came from Daniels and his ability with his legs? So I don't think I had a single share of Jaden Daniels this year. <laughs> that was <laughs> that was probably part of, of why I didn't have a great uh, fantasy season in general. Um, but I can tell you that next year, you know, the way I plan on approaching things, um, I, I, my process would have led to several shares of, of Jaden Daniels. So hopefully okay. I learned from my mistakes this year. We'll see, see how it worked out. But uh, using that, so, so what I've been vague about so far, I'm, I'm going to be looking at uh, basically the Washington scenario or the LSU scenario okay. uh, a lot. Is your quarterback back? Is your you know top target or or top few targets uh, back? Same head coach, same play caller. Those are the offenses I want to focus on. And and were you good? You know, right, la- right. Last year LSU uh, was 14th in offensive team performance. Okay. So yeah. So I, I might not have been a, a huge Jaden Daniels fan coming into the year, um, but. There are a lot of there's a lot of evidence around this LSU offense coming into the season that I should have realized uh, we're going to line up not necessarily expecting Jalen Daniels is going to be the Heisman Trophy winner or right. QB one by projected Heisman Trophy uh, right yeah <laughs> we'll um, 
but I should have I should have known it was a it was a big uh, mistake on my part to to not uh, invest in this LSU offense at all uh, because there are plenty of signs that that I should have other than Mason Taylor I liked Mason Taylor he right. was not as good as I thought he, would be this year. <laughs> <laughs> he was the one um, but uh, but yeah so you know. Michael Penix, all those receivers. That's that's. I did invest in them a little bit. My one good team had basically all those guys. Uh, so, uh, yeah. The the the. On that note, LSU next year will not fit that mold. Right. So I probably won't have very much Garrett Nussmeyer unless I have some you know dynasty shares left over, things like that. He may be in line for a a good year, uh, but if Daniels is gone and neighbors is gone, which we would expect. And Thomas is gone. Maybe Lacey is gone. You know, I'm, I'm not going to be investing very much in, in LSU offensively next year, because one of my main focuses is going to be, you know, do you meet these criteria as far as continuity at, at, you know, these positions, these people on the coaching staff. Um, And I might be overcorrecting. So I'm not saying I'm uh, going to be uh, set myself up for a great year next year, but um, that's that's where my mind is right now and what I'm going to focus on. So uh, with that being the the case, uh, LSU and Nussmeyer, for me personally, probably not, but I would understand why people would be. Okay. I think I'm probably going to be with you. I've never been the biggest Nussmeyer fan, but I think you brought up a really good point about the continuity um, especially in the transfer portal era and the and the era where there's so many coaches moving all the time. Now I know it's very early. Want, in the, I don't want to completely derail you. I know I've, okay. I've done enough already. Do no, you have not. the Do you have the QB rankings pulled up? I do. Yes. Okay. Read the top ten. All right. Let me just filter by quarterback here real quick. Okay. Top ten: Jaden Daniels, Dylan Gabriel, Caden Salter, Bo Nix. Caleb Williams, Byron Brown, Jordan McLeod, Drake May, Jalen Milrow. How many of those? I guess it was is mostly concentrated now in the top five. I I did this a couple of weeks ago, and it was it was like eight of the top ten. How many of those guys are second year transfers? Uh, Daniels, Gabriel, Salter, Nix, and Williams. Technically Williams, because um, he did come over with. Um, uh, with Lincoln Riley. So all of the top five, um, Jordan McLeod, no, yeah, but sure. you know, you have Cam Ward was just behind him at, um, he was at QB 12. Michael Penix was at QB 13. So I, there's a good number of them there that were second year guys in that system. Yeah, and 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 most of those guys, Salter, uh, had a new head coach, but most of those guys also had the same same head coach, and and you know, Nick's had a different play caller, but uh, so there, you know, it's not a perfect thing, and I'm not saying that I'm uh, going to draft Graham Mertz in the the second round <laughs> next year in in all my uh, fantasy drafts, uh, but I'm probably going to have uh, quite a few Graham Mertz shares <laughs> because. That that's just something that you know. Not saying second year transfer quarterback is is guaranteed, mm-hmm. uh, but I'm starting to see some evidence <laughs> that perhaps a, a second year quarterback who's you know that first year you're kind of getting your feet wet a little bit, learning your new surroundings, 
learning your new head coach and play caller and, you know, the uh, name of the other guys in the locker room. Um, and by that time that that second year hits, things things start to click a little bit better. So uh, that's something I'm going to focus on as well. Okay. And another guy on that list who fits that mold with, um, you know, second year in the system, Jackson Dart finishes the QB 22. He'll likely be back. Um, But so, and I know it's very early in the off season here. So I don't, you know, if you don't have a a team off the top of your head, it's not even worries. The off season. Yeah. True. (laughs) Official. I guess CFS it is. You're right. Um, But do you have a team right now that kind of, you feel like is going to fit that mold of what you're looking for of, you know, maybe a second year quarterback in that system continuity at the skill position and the head coaching staff. Is there a team that is shaping up like you might be looking at for next year? It's too early, uh, too early to, to say just because, you know, Things, things can change so much just this week. I mean, maybe even since we started recording. Who knows what happened? <laughs> I haven't um, been checking my phone. So. Yeah, I haven't either. I haven't either. Uh, so so there, there are probably uh, maybe one or two just major things that, that have already happened. But so Mertz was the first name that, that came mm-hmm. to mind. I mean, right. he had a he had a pretty good year. Mm-hmm. I mean, if you look at efficiency wise and, and things like that. Um, not that we're necessarily expecting a Billy, Billy Napier quarterback to, to put up just huge, huge numbers, but, um, he's sort of the, the example that, that sits in, in my mind right now. Uh, TJ Finley, Texas state, uh, would be a second year transfer, assuming GJ Kenny doesn't hop for another job. Um, I would, I would assume that Finley is going to be back. Uh, he's somebody who, who I probably will be investing pretty highly in depending on what the the price is uh, i was expecting if uh kirk signetti and and uh, jordan mcleod were both going to be back at james madison um i was expecting to take jordan mcleod very very high be really really high on him in, in preseason rankings uh next year um so um there's there's definitely some that fit that mold and, and i will also i think uh be looking at not just second year transfers, but second year starters. I mean, we talked about um, Byron Brown, you know, feel pretty good about him taking a year two jump as a full-time starter. I know he started right. a little bit in, in 2021. Um, a guy like Brady cook who had a breakout year right. this year, surprised just about everybody. He comes back, has the same head coach, has the same play caller, has one of the best wide receivers in the country at his disposal. Um, probably should be pretty high on him coming into next year. So uh, there, there are definitely um, plenty out there. I'm sure that I'm forgetting. I mean, Jalen Milrow, right? He'll he'll right. be a second year starter uh, with a with a play caller. We would expect, I think, for the, the the second season. So guys like that are are not guaranteed by any means, but I think are going to be pretty safe um, and. and have a lot of evidence to to suggest that they're going to be uh, really, really productive again next year. Okay. And speaking of second years in the systems, um, we'll have Wisconsin, with the second year of Phil Longo next year. It's, it's an offense that we wanted to see more of this year. We wanted to see more from this year. I was 
uh, optimistic on my guy, Will Pauling. Mm -hmm. I had a lot of Will Pauling. He ended up finishing okay down the stretch. Wide receiver 86 at the end of the year. But, you know, he put a couple of decent games together at the very end. Um, Braylon Allen was RB 30. So he took a little bit of a step back, but was still productive for fantasy purposes. Uh, the quarterback was definitely disappointing though. Tanner Mordecai QB 40 or 84 in a fantasy points per game. Uh, Braden Locke QB 158 in fantasy points per game was Wisconsin's offense as bad as we kind of seem based on this fantasy production. And do we think that there could be a jump forward in year two? If, Long goes back. You bring the lock year two as a starter. We get Will Pauling maybe sticking around. This could fit that mold, maybe. I'm torn on this. Um, I do, I was, I was too invested in Wisconsin as well. Had a lot of Will Pauling, uh, definitely as it, it, you know, we, we read the news that, uh, he was going to get that slot, Mm -hmm. uh, spot in fall camp. Um, I had, some Mordecai shares for sure had some uh, Chimray DK shares who just entered the transfer portal earlier today. Um, I, I do think Wisconsin will be better on offense next year, but another of my theories that I haven't fully fleshed out yet, I'm probably going to avoid big 10, uh offenses <laughs> and <laughs> you know passing attacks uh yeah. quarterbacks receivers i'm probably going to avoid them next year and that includes washington and oregon okay um because uh, you know after basically the halfway point um and they're playing a lot more you know with the nbc contract there's uh, one primetime game mm-hmm. each week right um and of course there's what 18 teams next year. So that only affects a a pretty small percentage. Um, But that's a lot of night games in cold weather in the middle of the year. And then it's, it's just cold and miserable for the most part uh, in November. And, and, you know, the big 10 West may be no longer, but Wisconsin and Iowa and Northwestern and Illinois are still probably going to look pretty similar. Minnesota Mm -hmm. uh, who added a, quarterback transfer from uh, New Hampshire. Uh, oh, did they get, they got, they did. yeah. Yeah. Okay. Uh, so am I super high on him? No, not necessarily. He's going to Minnesota. <laughs> but, uh, so, so I'm, I think I'm going to avoid Wisconsin next year as well, even though I do think they're going to be better and they did disappoint. And I was pretty invested this year in, in spots um, because yeah, the, the bones are there and Phil Longo you know, in theory, they should have a, a good passing attack. Um, I have a lot of Braden Locke shares uh, Same. In, in Dynasty. <laughs> um, and you know what? I'm probably going to try to trade a few uh, because, I, yeah, I'm, I'm mostly going to avoid uh, Big Ten West uh, teams in, in the future and teams that play a lot of Big Ten West teams, uh, especially late in the year, because um, I'm going to take a little more of an experience and geography approach to, okay. to CFF a little bit, uh, because, you know, Georgia Southern, you were talking about them as being a productive team, and they they did it. Year one, boom, immediate change, change from the triple option to throwing it around, no problem. I'm not as much scared about that Wisconsin wise. You know, people might say, oh, they ran the ball for 
40 years or whatever. And now they're, they're going to the air raid, dairy raid, whatever. I wasn't as concerned about that because with the transfer portal and all that, you can remake a roster immediately. That doesn't scare me. What I think I learned this year, and we'll see if I'm correct or not, is that they're still in Wisconsin. They yeah. still have to play <laughs> half of their games in Madison, Wisconsin, and they play, you know, a quarter of their games uh, in some pretty bad weather situations. So um, that just from a, a percentage standpoint, uh, probably need to, to downgrade some of those um, what look like really good players and coaches and uh, you know positions and roles on paper. Um, you know, I, I, I think I'm, I think I'm going to avoid for the most part, Wisconsin next year. I think that is very fair based on what we saw this year. Definitely disappointing for me and my Will Pauling shares, but a lot of targets. So yeah, we'll see. Maybe he'll Pauling. maybe he'll still be productive. Ball he is still running. Uh, you know, uh, still the the slot guy in Phil Longo's offense. So maybe maybe that's enough for him to uh, to, you, to be decent. You sold me. I'm back in. But I don't think he's going to be <laughs> touchdowns. <laughs> All right, into the CFB playoffs here. All right, we got the first round matchups. Number one, Michigan. Number four, Alabama in the Rose Bowl. Michigan, a point and a half favorite. Uh, Michigan was your number two team, I believe you said, just behind Oregon. Um, how do your numbers kind of have these two teams stacking up? Because I think Alabama was five, if I remember correctly. Yeah, yeah. Um, uh, Michigan is a is a clear favorite. I know that that it sounds like the market is moving toward Alabama uh, in the early early hours, early days after after this was posted. Um, uh, we see Michigan as a as a better team uh, thus far, and you know raw talent. They they don't quite stack up with Alabama. Um, if you're just looking at you know two four seven ratings, uh, unadjusted for experience production, anything like that. In most categories, Michigan is very good, but not elite. Uh, for example, they're 21st at tight end, 10th at offensive line, 16th in linebacker, 16th in defensive backs. Uh, Alabama is, you know, much closer to that elite uh, level, position by position. Number one at running back, number one at wide receiver, number one offensive line, number one defensive line, number one linebacker, number two defensive back, number three quarterback. Um, but you know, this is not uh, when we when we take things like experience and production and, and adjust those numbers, which I think is really the value of of the work that we do. Um, this Alabama team doesn't quite reach that level of, of talent. Um, they're seventh in overall roster strength. They're ninth in offensive roster strength. Number two in defensive roster strength. But um, you know, and, and that's still very very good. But that's not national champion level talent, at least what we have typically seen out of Alabama, out of Georgia the last couple of years. Those teams ranked number one in roster strength, pretty much uh, without question. Um, and this this Alabama team, you know, it's not a huge gap, but, but there's a drop off from number one to number seven. So uh, Michigan, you know, isn't isn't quite in that elite, uh, you know, realm Either they are not number one in roster strength, but they are number two. You know they've okay. they've got some talented players and and they've added some production uh, as well. So yeah, I think I think that Michigan is is being a little bit underrated 
Um, I think Alabama is being a, a, maybe a touch overrated. At least our numbers do. Um, I, I think my my opinion lines up with that uh, right now as well. Has for the most part of the season. Um, just haven't haven't seen that elite level of play or, or talent, quite honestly, uh, out of Alabama yet, uh, despite as well as they played recently. And I think something a lot of people are, you know, maybe overlooking is the way that Alabama had to win that iron bowl against Auburn on that last second, uh, touchdown there. I think they had like a 1% or sub 1% chance of winning on that play and they end up pulling it out. You know, obviously they beat Georgia, but I mean, you can't, if that's the team that shows up and Michigan's going to run on Alabama there, if, if like kind of like Auburn did. So I personally want Michigan to lose because I hate Michigan. Uh, I'd love <laughs> to see Alabama win, but I'm, I'm a little skeptical that Alabama is the best team in the country. Like some people are, are wanting to say right now. Mm-hmm. What, one thing that my numbers cannot uh, factor in is that Nick Saban and his coaching staff have a month to prepare. Yeah. Um, and he's got a pretty good track record when that's the case. Uh, Jim Harbaugh and his staff don't have a great track record. <laughs> uh, at least the last two playoff opportunities they lost to, or at least the last two years in, in the playoffs. I mean, they, they lost to Georgia, got blown out a couple years ago, and then lost as a pretty big uh, underdog to, or excuse me, as a pretty big favorite to uh, TCU last year. So um, taking taking that into it and, and knowing that we just can't quite uh, capture, you know, how well a head coach prepares his team on the practice field and, and, you know, that coaching staff uh, is able to, to prepare with their film work and, and scheming things up. Um, you know, that, that's something that I would put in the Alabama column on, you know, probably an advantage that um, our numbers just, just aren't able to capture. I think that's very fair as well. Uh, moving into the sugar bowl matchup here. And this is, I think, think this is a really exciting matchup. I was pretty excited when they announced that it would be Washington number two versus number three, Texas. Texas is a favorite right now, uh, minus four and a half, despite Washington. Just they're undefeated. They just managed to beat Oregon. Uh, they beat them twice. And Oregon is, you know, the top ranked team in your power ratings. Everybody was very much on Oregon to win that game. They were like at 10 and a half at one point favorites against Washington and Washington pulled it out like they have all year. What are your numbers saying about this matchup, Washington versus Texas? I see it as a coin flip. Um, I do. Our team strength uh, ratings have Washington favored. Uh, It's by about a quarter of a point. Um, That includes Xavier Worthy as playing, which he had a pretty uh, ugly looking ankle injury in the big 12 championship game, which, you know, he's a 105 rated player, uh, take him out of the lineup and you probably put in, I don't know, Casey Kane, uh, maybe even Jonte cook would be the, the next up as far as, uh, you know, into that top three wide receiver group. That's a pretty big drop off. All those guys are, you know, high seventies, low eighties. Uh, so, so that would probably move things a, a point or two. In, in Washington's direction. Um, Texas is also, you know, they've got 
a ton of talent at the running back position. I'm I'm very very high on guys like C.J. Baxter and Jaden Blue, and and you know think that uh, there's not necessarily a huge drop off from Jonathan Brooks to those guys. But I do think not having Jonathan Brooks, you know, that that's a that's a bummer. I'd rather have him than not. Um, so Texas is is a little less than 100. percent Washington is getting healthier. Uh, they were without a couple of starting safeties uh, for about a month leading up to last week's, uh, you know, to the, to the Pac-12 championship game. They've been um, one of their best defensive linemen, 300 plus pounder um, has been severely limited so far this year. Um, I expect that a month off is probably going to help him get a lot closer to 100. percent uh, We saw Jalen McMillan back and, and yep, looked yep. Uh, much closer to 100 percent than we have seen in recent years. Uh, we saw Jalen Polk finally catch the football for the first time in three weeks uh, after having a, a huge first two that months was of the season. In the playoffs. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> so you know, hopefully, and it sounded like you know, listening to the the broadcast that you know perhaps he's been. Uh, dealing with a little bit of, uh, you know, confidence issues maybe have, have uh, come into play. Hopefully that gets itself worked out over the next month or so. Uh, we saw Dylan Johnson put the team on his back yeah. and, and, you know, will them uh, basically to, to into the end zone. Um, so I, I understand why people are thinking that this Washington team is vulnerable. Um, I already mentioned they're eighth in our power rankings. Uh, we, you know, had Oregon as a pretty, pretty, uh, significant favorite. Um, they did not look good in games against, you know, Utah, Arizona state, mm-hmm. Stanford, um, not very good teams, quite honestly, even though Utah's a little bit better. Um, but you know, sometimes <laughs> that doesn't really matter that the team uh, is able. And, and Caleb DeBoer is one of those guys who uh, a lot of high school coaches get really excited about, you know, the things that that uh, he does and, and uh, the way Ryan Grubb designs an offense. Um, they are one of those uh, really, really strong uh, prep teams, you know, can can scheme things up, can get a team ready to play. Steve Sarkeesian might be the best uh, offensively. Okay. <laughs> I mean, he, I mean, as a as a play designer, uh, play caller. I mean, it's it's pretty incredible. I mean, Sark is is maybe the best in the game, uh, at least at the college level. Um, so there's maybe not you know a huge advantage there, uh, but I, I I think these are both really really good teams, and our numbers think that they're pretty evenly matched. Um, when you consider all all scenarios, the the uh, prism model and, and the talent edge model see it a little bit differently. Uh, the stats only model has Texas favored by about a field goal. The talent edge model, somewhat surprisingly, has Washington favored by a little less than a field goal. Uh, but part of that is is injuries on the Texas side and, and right. Washington get a little healthier. Okay. All right. Well, putting aside the numbers for a second, who wins it all? Who <laughs> wins the national title this year? Numbers aside, all vibes. Who do we got? I, I, I don't know if I can do all vibes anymore. My mind just doesn't work. <laughs> just doesn't work like that. I I, I, I look okay, at so these maybe, numbers all day, every day, vibes, so they're just numbers. ingrained in me. If we're saying all vibes, 
and like who I'm rooting for, I do actually have a rooting interest right now. Okay. All right. Who's the rooting uh, interest? On the CFP Winning Edge podcast, our co-host since episode two of the show uh, and the person who introduced me to college fantasy football. So really, I'm I'm here with you today. Uh, we can trace it back to Scott Bogman, a uh, huge Texas fan. Okay. And, uh, you know, I, 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 I went to Georgia. My, uh, our other co-host, uh, Xavier Trish, is a big Georgia fan, a uh, long time. He went to Georgia State? He went to Georgia State. He graduated from Georgia State. Yeah. Um, So we've we've gotten to experience our success, you know, our fandom. We've gotten to celebrate that. And and Scott really hasn't. And he's had to sit in (laughs) and listen to us in our three hour previews, uh, you know, talk about how disappointing Texas has been compared to, you know, how the, the team performance doesn't match the roster strength and all this. Well, this year it does. And and Texas is really, really good. Um, and you know what, but let's, let's, uh, root on Texas for Scott. So, uh, all vibes. Give me Texas. All right. I, I'm a huge Kalen DeBoer fan. I've always had a soft spot in my heart, weirdly for Washington. I don't know if it's just the Huskies, the mascot, the big dog person. Um, but I, I'm rooting for Washington. I have been all year. I, I I hate a little bit that Washington and Texas were matched up because I would mm-hmm. like them. To Washington be would be my number two pick. Yeah, Xavier has some ties to Washington as well, and and I like Kalen DeBoer. Right. Uh, I mean, talk about high school coaches, NAIA coaches. <laughs> Kalen DeBoer was a a legend at the NAIA level. I spent a couple of years uh, working football games at Montana Tech. Go Four Diggers. <laughs> uh, so you know, I know the NAIA uh, uh, as well. Have, have a soft spot for them as well. Uh, and and actually, on that note, co-defensive coordinator at Washington, Chuck Morrell, was the head coach at Montana Tech when I worked there. So, okay. you so, know, so I like Washington yeah. as well. Absolutely. Uh, but yeah, so I'm, I'm with you on that. I, I wish I wish we could see Texas and Washington in the in the final. Me too. But we can't. And whoever wins the Sugar Bowl needs to win it all. There you go. And I'm hoping for Washington. All right. Before we get you out of here, we got to this is this is what CFB winning edge is all about. This level of degeneracy FCS special. We have the celebration bowl. <laughs> Howard playing FAMU, Florida A&M. And it was on your it was on the show sheet. I saw you put the note last week for the tailgate, but we didn't get to it. Whoever was driving. Just clearly ignored it. Uh, Florida AM at minus 17 and a half was a lock of the century of the week. I played right. that, put two units on it. It hit. <laughs> We're back. What do we got in the celebration bowl here? And I'm just going to turn you loose. And what do we have to look forward to in this one? Uh, well, so, so yes, we, we did miss the, uh, to get to talk about, about that on the, uh the tailgate I, I thought for sure with a limited slate we'd get to spend a little more fcs time but you know mox was out of the country mm-hmm. and that didn't and help usually he and i <laughs> he and i sort of corner that uh but yeah Flor- I, I was a little nervous you know had to had to go through a couple of uh weather delays and and needed a, a sort of a garbage time uh, touchdown but well, we got it done florida and m uh florida and m and howard let's see i haven't you said howard right Yes, I, I my so my my level of knowledge is is relatively shallow. I I mentioned worked at Montana Tech and and do 
consider myself a University of Montana fan. Okay. Um, uh, just from my from my time there, so go I will Grizz, always right? say, "Go Grizz!" Okay. Absolutely. Uh, where is this game being played? Is it a neutral? Is it a, is it in Atlanta or something? I would assume it's a neutral site. Um, okay. The Celebration Bowl, I think. Yeah, yeah Atlanta. I'm trying to I'm trying to uh, delay here, so I, you you did warn me, and I didn't prepare, so I'm trying right. to. Trying to filibuster a little bit so I can run the numbers in our. It is in uh, Atlanta at the Mercedes Benz Stadium. Perfect. So we don't have to make the two point uh, home field advantage adjustment for FCS games. Let's get the Howard Prism number in here. All right. Uh, so we've got Florida AM in our team strength model, FCS uh, favored by 18.3 in our Prism model. Uh, has uh, FAMU favored by 11 and a quarter. So FAMU, solid team. They're 11 and one, SWAC champs, obviously. Um, Willie Simmons uh, is the head coach there, has been mentioned as a uh, candidate at, at multiple FBS uh, job openings in this cycle. Wouldn't shock me if, if he ends up uh, getting an FBS job relatively soon. I don't know if it'll work out this year or not, but uh, FAMU, really, really good uh, program, historic. Um, and, you know, there's there's a lot going for, for Howard as well, but FAMU certainly has a little more football uh, pedigree and history. And, and this year is legitimately uh, a top 25 uh, FCS team. They're 23rd in our FCS power rankings. Howard is 71st. Uh, MEAC champs, um, but, but FAMU is just, uh, just, a, a so far at least, and, and the way that we calculate things, uh, the better team by a pretty clear margin. Um, so would expect them to win this one by, by double digits and, and maybe, uh, maybe two touchdowns or more. Okay. I have not seen a line for this one, but I will be keeping an eye out for that. I imagine they will drop that closer to kickoff. Uh, there's a little far Usually, out. Usually. Yeah. Lines. Yeah, I think I think they've uh, they've started to drop the uh, the playoff games on Thursdays during the during the regular season. Uh, that's why we talked about it on the tailgates because Mox and I are like in the chat, like, "Oh, the lines are up." Uh, they don't they didn't put them up till like an hour before the game start. Um, but uh, but yeah, you'll have a you'll have a little bit of time. So I would uh, I would expect to be on. FAMU, if you can get anything single digits, I'd, I'd go for it. Um, if it's two touchdowns, ooh, still probably lean FAMU, but, but not as, as confident. All right. Well, thank you for diving into the FCS there, giving us a little Anytime. Uh, yeah. Uh, I, 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 like I said, I had to sprinkle a little bit at the end um for you because i know that was a big uh you and mox did well on the tailgate on your fcs we, we got me some well. got got me a little cash I've, I've always had a thing oddly for the ivy league and now i i live in uh that part of the world <laughs> um and so my my local team is is dartmouth uh but so there's there's always been a little bit of an interest we do have full uh ivy league uh team profiles in our, our CFP winning edge stuff. Um, but yeah, it's just been more and more of, of an interest. And like I said, go Grizz. Uh, so I try to keep, keep an eye on things and, and uh, it's, it's become, 
I don't know. It's getting a little bit better. I'm spending a little more time on it, getting a little, a uh, little more uh, robust in in the projections. Didn't get quite the the full team profiles I was hoping to get done this year. Maybe sometime in the future. Maybe not. But uh, yeah, I, I think the FCS is a lot of fun, and there's definitely some value. And and like you said, we we had a pretty good year this year, um, especially in Ivy League stuff, but but with some some greater FCS stuff as well. All right. Well, everything you heard today, numbers wise, all that kind of stuff was from the CFB Winning Edge database, which you can get access to at campustocanton.com with the Campus to Canton, the C2C Winning Edge membership or the All 22, which gets you access to everything. There's not a better time to sign up. There's a ton of betting material in the CFB Winning Edge database. You got a ton of games to be betting on. Go over there, sign up right now, get an edge. We also will be announcing something related to the bowls. I don't want to give anything away just yet, um, but we might have a little competition potentially. Um, we're still working out a couple of the finer details on it, but look out for something of that coming later this week. But uh, you'll definitely want to go over and get access to all of this stuff and all through the off season with all the player portal movement and all of the coaching movement, you're going to want to access to the CFB database, winning edge database to stay up to date on all of that stuff. So our, our 2024 returning production database is the, the work has begun. Um, so that's, that's a big one. Uh, you know, in, Late January, early February, Bill Connolly puts out his, his returning production numbers. I know there are a couple other folks out there um, who put out returning production numbers as well. Uh, you know, we we give you the numbers, but then we have team pages for every FBS team. So you can look player by player, stat by stat, who's coming back, who's not, who transferred out, who transferred in. Um, it is, uh, you know, I think our team profiles are, are pretty great. I use them all day, every day. I think I might be most proud of the returning production database because there's just nothing else like it. Like you will see, oh, so-and-so is fourth in returning production in a tweet or, or a story or whatever. But what we have, to my knowledge, is the only place where you can go through and look and everything is itemized, you know, colorized, tells you who, like I said, transfer in, transfer out, graduated, NFL draft. All, the, all that good stuff. Um, and that's going to be available in January as soon as possible after uh, NFL draft declarations are, are final. Yeah, we are working hard beside, behind the scenes on that. Nick, no more or more, no one more than Nick. Um, but thank you so much for joining me today. Really appreciate you breaking down these bowls. Um, and definitely tune in and check out the CFB Winning Edge podcast that comes out every, every week as well. Are you guys doing that throughout the bowl season too? Absolutely. Yep. Perfect. We'll be back, uh, record Wednesday nights, and it's usually published, if not overnight, on Wednesday, uh, Thursday morning. Okay. There we go. All right. Well, thank you again so much. Really appreciate it. That's going to do Enjoyed it for it. me. Uh, I will be back next week. But until next time, have a good one.